1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Before you get there, I just want to read a passage and just, this is something that's been on my heart this morning. And I'm going to read it from Jeremiah. You don't have to turn there. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds or pastors according to my heart. Not according to man's heart, but according to my heart. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That understanding means He's going to feed you to be wise and to behave wisely. And so I'm going to tell you guys right now that the things that we've been talking about here in the church, I've told you a few weeks ago, it's going to cause us to lift the mat or the rug of life where we've swept things under there, and it's going to cause us to have to deal with some things. And it may feel uncomfortable doing that, but man, I'm going to tell you, that's the only way we're going to sit set free. And so we're going to walk this out together day by day and week after week. But I want you to know here, guys, today you're not going to get cinnamon rolls and you're not going to get cobbler and ice cream and dessert. You're going to get broccoli and asparagus. And so I'm going to give you the things that God wants us to talk about. I don't want you leaving here today thinking, well, pastor's going to make me feel good. Well, if you leave here feeling good, praise the Lord. But you may leave here realizing i got to deal with some things. That's a good thing. And so if you've been here the last few weeks, we talked a few weeks ago about i got to recognize some things in my life. Issues in my life. You know, Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness. The heart knows its own bitterness. So at times in my life, i got to look what's in my heart. When I realize i got some things in my heart, i got two options. I can live in denial, or through the empowering of the Holy Ghost, I can begin to deal with it. But if I don't deal with it, guys, I'm never going to walk in freedom. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to begin to take responsibility for our lives. What do you mean by that? Well, I can't keep living by an excuse. I'm going to tell you guys, when I live by an excuse, I begin to play the blame game. And blaming others, guys, is never going to lead me to victory. It's never going to lead me to freedom. The third thing is a thing called repentance or forgiveness. And we talked about that last week. That for me and you to forgive wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And God said, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And so we limit God from working on our lives because we hang on to that. And so, you remember last week when we talk about forgiveness and repentance, I believe that it must become a lifestyle, that we must marinate ourselves in it. We must hibernate in it. Because every day you're going to have an opportunity to be offended. And so if we put that on. Now, I'm not going to talk about that hardly at all this morning, but I do want to show this video. And this will help you understand some things with forgiveness. You guys want to go ahead and show that for us, please? Barely change our past, but it's that... I must continue walk this out day by day by day. And when you talk about forgiveness, forgiveness isn't something any one of us do naturally. It's something that we've got to make the choice and, and in our will say, okay, Father God, I'm going to forgive them. And in my own life, guys, when I was a junior in high school, I had a football coach that I despised. I despised. I could not stand the guy. And I'd even make comments out of my mouth. The day's going to come when I'm going to whip his rear. I'm going to get him. 
And when I got born again, the Lord began to deal with me in my heart about that. About letting that go. And at first I didn't want to do it, but out of my mouth I began to say, Father God, I forgive Coach Good. And that was on Sunday. And Monday would come around and and I would flare up in areas and I'd have to say, Father God, I forgive Coach Good. And Tuesday I'd say, I forgive him. And I would forgive him. And I'd forgive him. And I kept walking it out day by day. It wasn't a one-time deal. See guys, when we're talking about freedom and breakthrough, with Father God there are no drive-up breakthroughs. Where we swill up to the, the fast food window. And we say, Father God, I want the biggest order of freedom you got. And supersize it. No, with Father God, guys, to walk in freedom, I'm going to have to walk it out day by day. Keep walking it out. And to walk it out, you can't have a wishbone, but you're going to have to have a backbone. Where you say, okay, Father God, I'm going to obey the Scriptures. I'm going to do what you've asked me to. Now look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And let's begin today. See how far we get. And you'll begin to sense the, the flavor of this morning where the Lord's going. It says in verse 24, do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That you're going to have to persevere. You can't quit. And so he said, we all run. And the thing is, if every one of us were in a race today, some may run faster than others, but the bottom line is, we just keep running day by day by day. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That word word temperate there means they exercise self-control. They discipline themselves. They train hard. And when we talk about self-control, one of the nine fruits of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is the the gift or the fruit of self-control. I believe it's one of the things, guys, we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to come on the inside of us. Remember, just as we sang, He changes us from the inside out. And so we must begin to get to the point where we say, Okay, Father God, I need to have self-control. I need to have some discipline in my life to keep running and keep running. Keep doing these things that move me toward the kingdom of God. Why? Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable or an eternal crown. And you'll notice the eyes in verse 26 and 27. Therefore, I run, thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And so Apostle Paul is saying when he uses the word I, I must take responsibility. I must run. I must fight. Daily. Because you know one of the reasons we have to understand this, guys, is because we have an adversary. We have an opponent called the devil. And whether you like to believe this or not, the devil can't stand you. Actually, John 10.10 says that he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Any way he can. If that's keeping you in bondage, he'll do it. And what I found out about the devil is the devil doesn't take weekends off. He doesn't take holidays off. He's going to come after you every day. So I must run and fight. 
How do I do that with the things of God? Now look what Apostle Paul said in verse 27. But I discipline my body. I discipline my body. Why did he say that? Because he goes on a quote here and says, And I bring it into subjection. You know what that tells me? That if I don't discipline my body, it's going to get out of subjection. It's going to start doing what it wants to do. And when I look what the Apostle Paul says, I begin to think the other day that so many times in our life, we abuse our body. What do you mean by abuse it? We don't eat right. We don't exercise. We don't get the proper amount of sleep. But yet then we come to church and we say, Father God, heal me. And I think that doesn't even add up. And even spiritually, that's what we do many times. We break the things that God's asked us to do through His Word, through His commandments, but yet we come in and we expect God to bless us. we got to come to the point where we say, okay, Father God, I'm going to discipline my life, even in the area of, i got to get in the Word every day, guys. We feed our natural man three hot meals a day, and we feed our spirit man one cold snack a week. And we wonder why we get kicked around spiritually. And so the Apostle Paul is saying here, I must bring my body into subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said, man, I, I can't disqualify myself by being irresponsible. Look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now remember guys, we're working on something here. We're working on some things that have leading ones to freedom in what areas? Well, I believe God still wants to set the captives free. I still believe God heals the brokenhearted. I still believe God is the God who breaks the yokes of bondage. I, you know, we read uh, Psalm 103.3 last week that God said, I heal all your disease. He didn't say, I medicate your disease. He said, I heal your disease. And so God is still the God who does those things. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted or restrained. How? By your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as the children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now when we look at that, most of the time, that is used in content with marriage. And I believe that's sufficient for that also. That we should never marry anyone that's, that's not a believer. But it means more than that. Actually, in verse 14 there, it cross-references into 1 Corinthians 4.14. And the Apostle Paul said, I don't speak this to shame you, but to warn you. And then the next cross-reference he gives is in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, and it says, don't keep company with the sexually immoral. And so when we begin to look at this, one of the things we must understand as believers, we got to break up with the world. We're not called to live like the world, guys. That as believers, we shouldn't act like the world. And this is one of the areas we must learn to become self-disciplined in our lives. I remember after I got born again, my brother would tell me this numerous times. You keep running with the snakes, you're going to keep getting bit. 
And you know what? He was right. Because if you want to see your future or who you're going to look and act or be like, just look in the mirror. And look who you're hanging out with. And I'm going to tell you, it'll let you know real quick. Because you start running with the world, you're going to act like the world. Period. You're going to begin to think like the world. Now, look what he goes on to say here. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has right with wrong? Extreme, isn't it? He says, and what communion has light with darkness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what harmony or accord has Christ with Belial? And Belial, you know who he is? That's a description of the devil. The wicked one. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And so we're the temple of God. So I can't do things that defile the temple. That's where I must live discipline. Where I say, Father God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do everything I can to serve you. Does that mean we got to be perfect? No. Now look what he goes on to say. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, this is our part. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And this is God's part. And I will receive you. And so right here, in order for a covenant to be in existence, it takes both parts. God's got to do His part and i got to do my part. Now you've got to understand with Father God, God doesn't break His covenant. God is the God just as we sang. He's unending, never ending. He cannot lie. And so if we break the covenant, it's because we haven't separated ourselves. We haven't severed ourselves. Now look at chapter 7, verse 1, right there while you're at. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, and the promises were verse 16 and 17, get this, let us, let us as believers, Cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and the spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. And so when I look at this, the Apostle Paul was telling us here, don't be around ones that cause you to be inconsistent in your faith. Don't be around ones that cause you to compromise because if you get around the world before long, you're going to be what I call a triple threat. You're going to stumble, you're going to fumble, and you're going to ultimately fall. And so right here, he tells us, let us cleanse what? Our flesh and our spirit. Why? God wants to perfect holiness in us. And so where we're going with this, guys, is I believe the Lord in the church is wanting to do a thing called sanctification. Where He cleanses us, where He can bless us. How is God going to sanctify us? Well, we begin to repent of our sins. We walk in repentance and we forgive others. But in this one, I believe with all my heart, as believers, we must renounce sin. Remember I said a few weeks ago, guys, God does not bless sin in our lives. No matter who we are, God does not bless sin. Now, I want you to go to the book of Numbers, chapter 23. Numbers, chapter 23. 
And as you're turning there, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. Right there in the first part of the Bible. This is a passage, and I call it the the doctrine of Balaam. And Balaam, his doctrine is still in existence in the church today. But there was a wicked king named Balak. And Balak was a heathen. Balak despised God's children, God's covenant, the Israelites. He despised them so much, he wanted to see them killed. So Balak gets word of this guy who's a seer named Balaam, who went around casting spells on people. And Balaam was known as one that when he cursed, whatever he cursed, it cursed. Whatever he blessed, it blessed. So Balak says, I want to hire you to get rid of the Israelites. So Balaam says, I'll do it. So Balaam goes and he tries to curse the Israelites, but he couldn't do it. He tried and he tried and he couldn't do it. So here in Numbers 23, let's start in verse 11. I'm going to bounce for time's sake in this chapter. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you or hired you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. Dude, I paid you to curse them, and instead of cursing them, you put all these great blessings upon them. So look at Balaam's response to him in verse 12. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? In other words, when God puts stuff in my mouth, I can only speak what God's put in there. So Balak, he said, man, I'm not going to give up this easy. He said, we're going to go to another location. We're going to go high up on the mountain. We're going to erect our altars. And then you know what you're going to do? You're going to curse the Israelites. So Balaam goes through the same thing. He can't do it. This time, the Lord says to Balaam, he said, I want you to go back and say these things to Balak. What was he going to say to him? Look in verse 19. we got to get this, guys, right here. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, i got to get that in my thinking, guys, right here. God does not lie. Period. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. The Bible says that God's word is forever settled in heaven. So he said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or, for, or has he spoken, will he not make it good? And so what you begin to see here in all this is that, that God is a man that He's going to do exactly what He speaks and what He says. He's not going to change. He's not a man that He should repent for what He promised. And so when God promises something, He's going to do it. See, that's where we got to get. We've got to get that in our heart. Now, the very next verse, it gives us an insight on some things. Verse 20, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, I'm going to highlight right there. there. He has not observed iniquity. Iniquity is, is progressive sin. Willful sin. Sin day after day after day. So what did he say? I have not observed wickedness or sin in them. And look at the last part of verse 21. He said, so the Lord his God is with him. He's with them. So you know what he's telling them here? He's saying, because there is no iniquity within them. And Proverbs 22, 8 says this. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. Will reap some things in his life that you don't want to reap. And so right here, Balaam is telling Balak, he said, listen. 
God can't find any sin in them, so we can't curse them. So Balaam, he's really wanting to get paid. He's wanting money. So you know what he does? He says to Balak, he said, listen, we can't curse them. I can't put spells on them. But he said, I know what we can do to get them where we can break the, the covenant God has with them. So you know what he tells him? He says, we must bait the Israelites or entice them to sin. Now once again, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. They knew this. Look in chapter 25, verse 1 here. Look what happens. Now Israel remained in the Cassia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Huh. So let me tell you what's going on here. Balak and Balaam, they come up with this great idea, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take all these Moabite women to the Israelites, and we're going to let them walk in front of the Israelite men and see what they do. Well, what did it say they did here? They indulged in sexual immorality. Once again, guys, do not be unequally yoked with the world in any form. Verse 2. They invited the people, the Moabite women invited the, the people of God, the Israelites, to the sacrifices of their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So what happens here, guys, is these Moabite women come in and they prayed themselves before these men, the Israelites. And the Israelite men, man, they fall in love immediately and they want to cohabit. And so they get the men drunk, is what they do, and then they tell them, if you want to be a part of our lives, then you get out and bow and worship our idols. And they did. And they did. They compromised, and they knew it wouldn't please God. So look what happens in verse 3. So Israel was joined or submitted to the God or the God of Baal. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So guys, when I break the things of God that God asked me to do, it's not pleasing in God's sight. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord, out in the, and out, that the fierce of the anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. You know what he's pointing out here? I'm going to tell you guys, when we turn on the things of God, there's serious consequences. See, that's why I must live discipline. To say, I'm going to serve God day after day after day. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. In other words, get rid of sin, guys. Renounce it. Look what happens in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel, covenant, he came and presented himself to his brethren, a midnight woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who are weeping at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. So you know what's going on here, guys? Get this picture. And this is where the doctrine of Balaam is still active in the church today. Just say, just like the Israelites, we're all in here worshiping God like they were. It says they were at the tabernacle of the meeting. So they're all sitting in the church service worshiping God. It said they were weeping. I believe they were crying out because of the sin they were in. They were calling out to God. All of a sudden, this one Israelite, this man who was covenant with God, one of God's chosen, he strolls in with this woman before Moses and all the people. 
You know what he did? He blatantly had an act of sin. And he comes walking in, and his mentality is this. I can do whatever I want. It's okay. It's okay. See, how many of us in the church right now, we're, we're yoked together with the world. We confess Jesus as Lord, but we don't live like that. And so what ends up happening here because of this, you can imagine how this grieved the Father's heart. Can you imagine what would happen if that happened this morning? But see, it happens every week. We come in here, guys, and we think we can sit here and do things that, that makes all of you think, man, pastor's really spiritual. See, I can come in here, just like you, and I can be living in blatant sin, and I know all the, the, the Christ talk, the Christ religion. I know all the things to say, but my heart can be so far from God. And look what happens here. Verse 7. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, he saw it, he witnessed it. He rose from among the congregation and he took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through their body. It bothered him so much that this guy would blatantly sin in front of him. He takes a javelin. And he didn't look and say, it's okay. Your sin's okay. You know, we live under grace. God's okay with it. Your sin's okay and my sin's okay. No, you know what he did? He knew that they had insulted Father God and so he put a stop to it. Now you know what a lot of people would say in our society? They'd say, don't judge me. You better not judge me. You know what? He didn't judge him. He judged the sin in his life. And I look and think, this is what's got to begin to happen in the body of Christ again. Not that we're better than each other. But if we want God's best, and I believe in the church right now, God is raising up men and women that will become father figures spiritually. That can look at each one of us and say, Man, you can't keep living in sin. God doesn't bless that. I remember when I was twin and giving my heart to Jesus. I had a guy that I think God specifically wrote him letters that the stuff I was doing. And he would knock on my door and he was a big guy. I mean, he was big, this rascal. I knew I couldn't whip him unless I had a bat. And I'm capable of using a bat. I'm pretty good at picking up equalizers. This, this guy was, I'm telling you, he was an animal. He, uh, back then they run the hundred yards and he, he ran nine nine in the hundred and he threw the shot put over 55 feet. So I knew I couldn't outrun him, and I knew I wasn't stronger than him, but he would irritate me. He'd come in and say, it's a storm, you can't keep doing those things. And I'd get so mad, I'd look at him in that eye, the tiger would rise up. But you know what? I knew he loved me. And he wasn't judging me, he was judging the sin in my life. And you know what? Years later, I went up to him, and you know what I said to him? Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for getting in my face in love. And I believe that's what's got to happen back in the church again, guys. That God, we, we got so many within the church that have an orphaned heart. A broken heart. 
And so he, he, he jabs them with the javelin. And look what happens at the end of verse 8. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Because of why? Sin. It wasn't that God didn't love them. They got out of the covenant. And you know what people will say to me? Well, Pastor, you've got to understand, that's Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament. We live under grace. Well, that's a great thought, but why did the Apostle Paul say in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Now that's New Testament. And so there's still consequences for me living in sin. And when I read what he did, I begin to look and think, Lord, I must put sin to death in my own life before sin puts me to death. And i got to get back under the covenant of God. You know what God's covenant is? I love what God loves, and I hate what God hates. And I'm going to tell you one thing that God hates, actually the Bible says it makes Him throw up, is when we live lukewarm. And you know what lukewarm is? I'm a saint on Sunday, and I'm a sinner on Monday. I believe God is wanting to help us, guys. He's wanting to, to bring us back up. And remember, God is not a man that He should lie. Does God want to bless us? Does God want to set the captives free? He does. But is there so much sin within the church that He can't? So you begin to see here the thing of sanctification. God's wanting to, to help us get our hearts right with unforgiveness. And he's wanting to help us to say, man, I've got to get rid of sin in my life. Is he saying we've got to be perfect? No, but you know what he is saying? That when I do sin, it should bother me. Now go to the book of John chapter 5. And we're going to end with this. John chapter 5. And you know, I'm telling you guys, I realize this isn't the, the, the greatest or the, the most enjoyable thing to hear about this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, we're working on something here. We're working on some people's heart with unforgiveness. We're working on some things. There's going to be some victory released in here, guys. I'm going to tell you, when I read the other day that how God still sets the captives free, I got excited. I said, that's my God. Father God, if you said you still set the captives free, then He still does it. He, he still heals the brokenhearted. Now in this passage right here, there's this guy. Verse 14, it says that he had an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years. You know what the, the, the message says in there? That he had a deep-seated and lingering disorder. I guess so. 38 years. How many of you have ever been in bondage to something for a long time? You don't have to raise your hand. Man, I've been in bondage to things for a long time. I've had some deep-seated and lingering disorders among me. And so this was, this was a deep thing to this guy. And, and look what Jesus says at the end of verse 6. He said, do you want to be made well? Duh. What do you think, Jesus? Do I want to be made well? 38 years. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, He asked the guy, do you want to be made well? Why did Jesus always ask that? Because He gives us a will. It's the same thing when you got born again. 
Is getting born again and giving your heart to Jesus a great thing? Yeah. But when Ernest gave his heart to Jesus, Jesus didn't get him in a headlock and say, get born again. Now, he would probably like to do that with us, but he doesn't do that. Well, in this situation, you know what he says? He said, listen, buddy, do you want to be made well? And the guy in the next verse, you know what he does? He breaks out his list of excuses. Why he can't. And I think Jesus finally gets sick and tired of hearing that in verse 8 at the end. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. What does that mean? Jesus is telling him, if you'll just listen to me and obey me, things will work out. Rise. Whose, whose job was it to rise? His. He had to make the decision. Now, later on in the passage, Jesus bumps into him. Now, this is where you got to get this. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. So you know what that tells me? Evidently, he got up. Otherwise, you know what? He'd still been back there telling everybody his problems for the last 38 years. God doesn't like me. God doesn't heal. God doesn't set the captives free. And see, that same aroma has come back into the church where we pray for people and nothing happens. And you know what they say? You know, the Bible is not relevant to the 21st century. The Bible's outdated. How many of you have heard that lately? It's amazing how many times that the Bible's outdated. It is. So salvation's outdated. See, this is what ends up happening. There. And, and so we begin to make excuses. Now, the Bible's true. The Bible's true. See, I, I don't want to pray for people unless their hearts are right. You know why? Because I can lay empty hands on empty heads all day and nothing's going to happen. And then when we pray for people and they don't get healed and they don't get set free, you know what they say? God doesn't do it no more. That's not true. God does do it. He does do it. He's a covenant God. Remember, He's a God that does not lie. So look what Jesus said here. Now man, this is good. See, you have been made well. Sin no more. Sin no more. The message says there, don't return to a sinning life or stop sinning. Now why would Jesus say that to him? Well look what he explains. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And as I read that, you know what Jesus just did there? He directly tied sinning into what? Bad things. Worse things. He said, don't sin. See, do you see, guys? If I don't renounce sin in my life, this was a man who was healed and Jesus said, sin no more, at least the worst thing come on you. And I thought, a worse thing? He'd been bound for 38 years. Something worse? And see, when people tell me, God's okay with sin. I live under grace. You know, we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments anymore. Those are the Ten Suggestions. And I look and I think, I know I don't live under the letter of the law, but for me today to go out and commit adultery and go mess with somebody else's wife, that would be a real blessing. And yeah, God would be okay with it. Because you know, we live under grace. 
No, Shelly was gone for 10 days. She said, what would you do, Pastor, for 10 days? She asked me. I said, I went clubbing. I clubbed and I clubbed. And... But see, we get that mentality. And I want to say, so, I go out and commit adultery and God's alright with that. What do you think my wife would think about it? Praise the Lord, honey. I'm just glad it made you feel better. See, this is how we've done the sin and we got back over where, well, you know, if you sin, it's okay as long as my sin's okay. Let's just sing Kumbaya and tell each other about our sin. It's okay. But see, this is what has separated us from the things of God. And I believe this is where we're working on some things, guys. That we begin to deal with our heart as far as unforgiveness and sin in our life and say, man, Lord, I, I'm going to come clean. I'm going to start walking in the things of God. And when I begin to do that, you know what? Woo! I get back in covenant. And when we get back in covenant, you know what that means? That means get ready, Freddie, because God's going to set the captives free. God's going to heal the brokenhearted. God will break yokes of bondage. But I play a part in it. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging it. Put your rocks down. But if you're living in sin and you know it, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? i got to begin to rise up, guys, and say, Okay, Father God, help me. Stand on your feet with me. Stand on your feet.